ஒரு பிரேமனந்தி So we want to speak a little bit at Karnamrita's uh, request, Vaishnav Toshani, with the pleasure of the Vaishnav and Vaishnavis and Vaishnavas here, um, about the significance of the Damodar Astakam, which we just sang, which is typically uh, recited in this month of Damodar, also known as the month of Kartik. When I arrived here earlier in the month, It was about a week or so before the Kartik, which has two beginnings on the full moon recently passed and on the Ikadasi coming, which day, Monday? Tuesday. Tuesday. So if you haven't started, you can start again, <laughs> start anew um, on Tuesday. And um, that's with a, a vow for, for Kartik observing the Urja Vrata as it's referred to in Bhakti Rastamrita Sindhu. So I spoke, I say, what was saying when I arrived here a week or so before uh, Kartik Mas, uh, a little bit about the month and the significance of it, um, even at some length. And um, subsequently we've been having a number of discussions, um, many of them other than questions uh, solicited and offered, um, many of the discussions about Radha Tattva. We had a little festival concerning Radha Tattva and so forth. This is, uh, um, as we've explained, her month. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. Forgive me, some of you, if I repeat myself a little bit for something I've already said, but um, I think it would be appropriate to say something about the month and, and the significance of the Dhammadarastakam and how it came to be part of uh, this Gaudiya uh, celebration. And, and that uh, history is found in Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita ki jai, Sri Krishna Skaviraj Goswami Mahashai ki jai. So the Goswami Krishna Skaviraj Um, has given the Sanatan Siksha, hmm, one one of the prominent features of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, in his through his own pen, in his own words, the teaching of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as he understood it, envisioned it, heard about it, to uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu hmm, in uh, in uh, Banaras. And um, there's a significant uh, portion of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is a book that is uh, really, the, sometimes we refer to it as the distilled essence of the Bhagavatam, but it's really, in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense also, the distilled essence of all the Goswami's grantas or writings, all of which are expounding upon the significance of the Bhagavatam. I was blessed to be one of the first people in the um, outside of India to read the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Hmm. So when it was being printed in um, in Los Angeles, which was quite a marathon, some of you are familiar with that history of how Prabhupada wanted it all 
17 books, which was what his commentary, along with the text, would have played out to in print, to be printed in t- within two months. Um, uh, so that the, 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 the editors and uh, those involved in the printing would catch up with the author, so to speak. So that was a lot of, lot of work. Um, but at any rate, when they were coming out, they printed a few advanced copies that were sent to the big wigs. And Prabhupada, of course, would get his copy, and the GBCs would get their copies. And uh, I was just a humble uh, Ramchari. <laughs> but my friend at the BBT, Ramaswar, he sent me an advanced copy also. And there I would sit at that time. We were distributing books in uh, in Chicago, so I would sit with the devotees at night and read the book as it came out. Hmm. So it was a blessed event, and and in do, reading it, I thought, goodness, this is so extraordinary because all of the books are in the Chaitanya Charitamrita because all of his points, Kaviraj's points that he raises in in Bengali are. Uh, supported by way of reference to the Bhagavatam, to the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, to Govinda Lilamrita, to well, his own book, but um, and basically the books of the uh, the Sandarbhas, the books of the Goswamis. So this is a very um, um, Goswami, uh, if you will, Brahmanized uh, version of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that Krishna's Kabirash Goswami was faithful to. Say Brahmanized because Mahaprabhu was kind of a tantric type of a figure of sorts, hard to figure out, and, and ecstatic in Bengal. And there are different opinions about him, who he was, and what he was about, and so on and so forth. And the Goswamis, who met with him personally, and as, the, as from the testimony of Krishnas Kaviraj Goswami, uh, were empowered by him to write about what he was about, to locate him on the scriptural map and explain, point out what his ecstasy, the ecstasy that he embodied um, was really all about and how it was really what is the the, the central and secret, uh, much as you might put a secret in the center of the book, um, teaching of all the sacred texts. Hmm? It's a very incredible uh, accomplishment that they undertook. Mahabharu was like a great waterfall of love of God and they made a lake out of that in the form of their writing and made it accessible that we could drink from it, bathe in it and uh, take advantage of it in a kind of a, this kind of a soft institutionalization of the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that we might again, as I say, take advantage of it. And so Krishna Kaviraj Goswami distilled all of their writings and and referred to all of them and brought out the essence of their teaching in the context of a narrative of the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's a very extraordinary um, work. And he wrote it in in simple Bengali language with reference to Sanskrit texts which make up about 10-15% of the book. And so he, he, he took the Goswamiized, Vedantaized um, perspective of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, again, who was an ecstatic mystic, and the Goswamis took him and located him in, in the Upanishads, in the Shruti Saram of Bhagavatam, in the essence of the Shruti, um, and, and, and so forth. And um, 
And and then Krishna Naskabharaj took that Vedantaized, uh, you know, ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, written about now in a sophisticated uh, language of Sanskrit by the educated people, uh, again locating him on the map of what was the standard of knowledge at the time. It's an extraordinary feat. Then he took the same work and put it in Bengali, which is for the common people. Hmm? Um, and uh, and uh, uh, it was eventually circulated widely, and I was a good fortunate, as I say, to be one of the first people in, outside of India to read the text. Um, doesn't mean I understand it, but <laughs> we're trying. So in the text, the uh, genesis of the book in which the Dhammadarastakam is found hmm, is described. So I wanted to start our discussion from that point. And we, so, Tumiha Koriha Bhakti Shastra Pachar Maturai Lupta Tirta Koriha Udar. This is the Sanatana Siksha. Siksha means teaching. So, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching to Sanatana Goswami. This is Krishna's writing, and the pen, through the pen of Krishna's, the words of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu are. Um, Captured, says, O Sanatan, Tumiha Kariha Bhakti Shastriya Prachar. You should, mm, Bhakti Shastriya Prachar. You should, uh, Prachar means to preach. You should preach about uh, the Bhakti Shastras. Maturai Lupta Tirtha Kariha Udhar. And you should, uh, in Mathura, the tirthas um, loop are looped are hidden, hmm? and you should uncover them. Here he means the tirthas. What, what he means in this context of mature is the places, the holy places. Tirtha means um, it, it, it implies a a crossing, like like a Bermuda Triangle or something. You know, to give it a Western you know, type way of trying to explain it. You go there and you've crossed into another dimension. Hmm? So for crossing from this world to the next, significant place, places of spiritual significance that afford, that are afford hmm? across the river, if you will, and uh, uh, of time. Hmm? Uh, a meeting of the temporal and the eternal that takes on a temporal-like appearance but speaks to us about the eternal and affords us experience of it if we approach it on its terms. Hmm? So, such is the is the leela of Krishna um, that is envisioned hmm, by uh, great saints and so forth. Um, that's means to say premanjana churita bhakti bilochana. With certain eyes, you can see it. There's, of course, an argument whether Krishna was a historical person or not. And some devotees are fond of insisting that he was a historical, physical, you know, kind of historical person. Hmm? And then they gather sometimes information and and um, and uh, 
when they find something in archaeology that seems to work in their favor, then they go, see, <laughs> there's a city and there's the Dwarka or there is the Bridge of Hanuman or something like that. And, and so they they're, uh, have a kind of a, uh, a, a default of, of, of seeking to, to physically, if you will, historically verify Krishna in the real world. The, pro- the problem here is that the, the material world is not the real world. The, the history of the this is one thing that we, I think we mentioned it the other night, if not last night, something about the Bhagavatams being time within time within time beyond time, time beyond time, time after time, something like that. Um, its origins. Uh, you know, when was it written? When was it not written? When did it begin? When did does it ever end? And, and within the text itself, you have beginnings from Brahma to um, to Krishna in four verses, from Brahma to Narada in several verses, Narada to Vyasa in about a dozen verses, Vyasa to Sugadev, that's described, Sugadev to Parikshit, Raj, uh, uh, was it, uh, present in the assembly, the Sutta Goswami, speaking of the sages, and and again, Shiva spoke, uh, Sankarshan spoke to the Kumaras. The, all these different histories of the Bhagavatam are related in the text. When was it written? Um, and then there's the <coughs> academic perspective, of course. It's written now, I think they say, like the 6th century, something like that. Hmm? And uh, to his credit, Bhaktivinoda Thakur um, said, well, it could be. Hmm? Could be that's one way of looking at it. Hmm? Written in this, at the time of Bhakti Vinod, it was thought by the academics ninth century. Now they say more like sixth century, although they admit in academia that that the item, the, what the, what makes up the essence of the Bhagavatam, in terms of its stories and lila narrative and so forth, it predates the written form of it in which we have it. Hmm? You understand? And it's represented in other texts, and even in in in, in structures in temples. Hmm. There's a famous temple in South India that um, much I forget the dating of it, but it much predates the sixth century, I believe. And it's it's a whole um, it's architecturally and mystically, if you will, a representation of all the principal leelas of the Bhagavatam. Hmm. So. How you have it in eighteen thousand verses and so forth today is one thing. There was a tendency amongst scholars to, and devotee scholars, I mean, to ascribe the name Vyas to their writings. It said because they didn't feel it came from themselves, hmm? and um, and so it's it doesn't. My point here only is that it. it it's not that these ideas are necessarily in conflict with one another. A traditional sense of the origin of the Bhagavatam and a possible uh, other reality that it was in its written form came in the 6th or 4th or whatever um, century. Hmm. Um, who knows? And you can believe as you like either way, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur was wise enough uh, not to just dismiss observable evidence but to try to interface with the observable evidence and, and reason 
about his faith and so forth, which we were talking a little bit about last night, which really tends to make it stronger and deeper, rather than weaker and in need of an enemy. Hmm. Science, academia, observation as an enemy, because it, it, it disagrees with, with what our book says. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you need to read the book a little more closely. And maybe, in some places it may, some places it may not. Um, and it is a type of knowing, observation, right? Reason. Again, we said last night, it can't bring us comprehensive knowing. The kind of knowing by which one feels one does not need anything to know anymore. Hmm. That's peaceful. Hmm. That kind of knowing. You can't arrive at that by reason alone or by um, empiricism, by sense perception, hmm. but some kind of knowing. Hmm. So, uh, so the historical, if you will, Krishna, the devotees, some devotees, they need to like have him be a historical reality because of their in spite of their identification with the tradition, they're really much more grounded in the physical world as if it is the reality. The teaching is very different, but the reality is not the physical world. And it's practically it's not. I mean, our, even materially speaking, materially speaking, the real world for us is not the physical world, it's the mental world. I mean, from the Vedic perspective, there is a subtle, a psychic form of matter, and there's a physical form of matter. This is not an idea that's entirely um, um, objectionable to modern scientific uh, materialism, even. It's having, it's having a very hard time explaining the mind and trying to make it into a brain. So there are some thoughtful people that say, well, maybe there's a mind, maybe there's other mind stuff, and it's got different laws and so forth, and you want to expand the idea of matter. And that's what's been going on for centuries, expanding the idea of matter to try to keep consciousness inside of it, <laughs> something like that. But of course, consciousness proper is even above the mind, which is a quasi-subjective kind of reality, and we would call consciousness proper a super-subjective reality. I call it quasi-subjective in two senses, the mind, because its ability to uh, be subjectively active and and be a realm of uh, experience, hmm? uh, feeling, value, and so forth, is all derived from the touch of consciousness. So it's thought that, that there's a subtle form of matter that can reflect consciousness. And reflecting the consciousness, it has emotional content. So it's quasi-subjective um, in that sense, because without the touch of consciousness, um, it, it's, um, it doesn't have that um, experiential, uh, subjective nature. And similarly, in another sense, I should say, I would refer to it as quasi-subjective because for the most part, materially speaking, its subjective content is all focused on the physical world. Hmm? Um, so this is why in the, in the Gita it's taught that the mind is a tool. It can be your enemy, 
or it can be your friend. If it's if it's if it's, if it's subjective, but it's completely preoccupied with the with the objective physical world, then it's really only quasi subjective. Its full power of subjectivity unto itself is 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 diminished by its preoccupation with the objective world hmm? and limited thereby. Hmm? Um, but it's if it's if it's used in this is what yoga is about as a tool hmm? if it's understood as that medium through which consciousness itself proper communicates with matter well never touching it hmm? reflecting is not touching either but ref- it reflects the consciousness reflects on subtle matter and subtle matter then out of subtle matter comes the physical matter is the, is the idea in Vedanta so so, of course, from this we should conclude also that if the mind, the mental realm, has this experiential um, capacity, emotive capacity, and it's derived, as all schools of Vedanta say, from consciousness, then consciousness itself must have emotive capacity, which is not what all schools of Vedanta say. But this is what Gaudiya Vedanta says, to the extreme, hmm? this is its emphasis, the possibility of emotional life and transcendence. And that was my point, that we live in an emotional world, which is not the physical world. Hmm? There, you know, the physical world has only quantitative values, no qualitative values. That's the whole problem you know, for science. How can, how can, the, how can the mind be the brain and have subjective subjectivity to it, qualities and so forth. Hmm? Um, so they have this. They have certain ways of trying to trying to figure it out. They're having a hard problem, hard time with it. So uh, to talk about it, but um, hmm. they look at matter as having primary qualities, and then the subjective qualities are something like derived somehow. But we look at the other way, of course. And these are the, pr- the primary qualities are the quality, are the, well, the primary characteristics, I should say, are the qualitative aspects of our life. We live in a mental, emotional world. We don't live in a physical world. And in fact, as I was saying the other night, we want to make the physical world bigger than it is, more accommodating than it is. We want to be free from the limitations that it seems to, we seem to be confronted by that don't exist in the mental world. That's why we can dream about stories in which everyone lived happily ever after and dream and dream and dream. Hmm? Prabhupada used to give a simple example that you can find gold in the physical world and you can find a mountain, but good luck finding a golden mountain, a mountain made out of gold. But in the mind you can make one very quickly. Hmm? Very easy to make money in the mind. <laughs> hmm? Um, hmm. Some people say, "Well, you know, that's just your mind. That's just my mind. Everything is a, <laughs> the physical world. We only have. We can never contact it in its virgin condition. That's what Maya means. Science doesn't differ differ there. It's very difficult to." Ascertain that what is matter in its virgin state. The scientific community is in crisis right now about what is matter. They thought they had it figured out, you know, a couple centuries ago, and it just shows itself to be what it is, Maya. 
Hmm? Maya. Maya means, one of the meanings of Maya is to measure. Hmm? And it means it's Maya to try to measure. It's illusion, it's an illusion to try to bring even the physical world, the Maya Shakti, in the fist of your intellect and capture it. Hmm? When, when, when Parikshit Maharaj, the Raj, asked Sukadev, tell me something about the Maya Shakti in the fifth candle of the Bhagavatam, because by thinking about his material energy, I'll know something about him. And Sukadev replies, he says, what can I tell you? No one, even in the life, million lives of Brahma, could completely describe the Maya Shakti. He said, it's basically at its root, if I was to give a comprehensive definition or description, I'd say, a transformation of the gunas. Hmm? That's what it is. Hmm? This psychic, these three psychic kind of states of delusion, discontent, and contentment, Thomas, Rajas, and Sattva, the Rishis thought, as they examined their own psyche. What else are you going to examine? But, in other words, the only thing you really know is that you exist. You have subjective experiences. That's the only thing you know. So they examined what they knew and what it was like. And then they projected that, that, that there's something out there this is what life's about. What's in here and what's out there? <laughs> Who's looking at it? What's out there and, who, and what's looking at it? Hmm? So they projected that there's something out there. Hmm? And, and, and it's coming out of the mind. In other words, it, it, it's, it's a kind of... A, the, the physical evolves, if you will, out of the mental. And these three basic conditions of the psyche... Rad, sat, tamasic, radisic, sattvic, delusion, discontent, delusion which causes either no movement or movement in the wrong direction, discontent which causes movement for betterment, hmm, rajas, and contentment, which is, hmm, you don't have to move at all, <laughs> something like that, that these, that the physical world was also made up basically of these things. So this is what the, the the, the 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 Rishi Sukumuni told uh, Raj Parikshit that if you want to know what it is, it's the transformation of the modes of nature. They're constantly in flux. You cannot get a grip on it. It's immeasurable. To want to measure it, that is that is an illusion. Now you can measure parts of it here and there and derive pragmatic results for whatever you may want to do, perhaps, but to capture the whole thing. That's another thing he said. But he said, anyway, I'll tell you something about the Bhumandala, hmm? the sacred geometric uh, notion of the, of the, of, of the, of the uh, cosmography as represented in texts like the Vayu Puran and other Puranas. Like I said, Bhagavatam is made up of stories found in other texts told from a different angle of vision, from a rasic angle of vision with regard to the Leela in comparison to, say, Vishnu Purana or Padma Purana, from a Rasic perspective, the same story. The whole central story of Raj Parikshit and Sukadev Goswami is also found in other texts, like Mahabharata, but it's different there. 
So it's a different perspective from which it's being told. And then information from other Puranas are gathered and put in there to make it a Purana and and so on and so forth. So there's packaging and then there's the essence of the text. So he describes, anyway, we're getting a little off here, but on the, he describes the Boo, the Boo Mandala, some idea of a sacred uh, geography. You have to understand the whole book to understand that chapter. Hmm? And if you study the grammar there, hmm, it's clear that Parikshit Maharaj is not asking for himself. He's asking for yogis in the audience hmm, to give them some way, given the nature of their psychology, which is different than that of a bhakta, hmm, more complex, wants to control things and all kind of subtle chakras and you know this type of thing that they're that, that subtle passageways and uh, for traveling mystically and so on and so forth. So Sugadev uh, is giving a, a a description of the cosmos suitable for yogis, mystic yogis, to meditate on and thereby have a, a sadhana in connection with the Absolute. Vishwana Chakritaka comments, but this is not in that Parikshit Maharaj's interest. He wants to just hear the nectar about Krishna for himself. He has, he's a bhakta, he has adhikar to meditate on the deity of Radha Madhava, of Radha Damodar. Hmm? So the, all the descriptions of the world in the Bhagavatam basically are descriptions of the world that seek to help us by looking at the world we get inspiration to pursue the real world, hmm? to move within it, the super subjective world. So the physical world is 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 not the real world. I mean, and, and everybody, of course, sees it subjectively. It sounds a little postmodern, but that's true. Hmm? Hmm. There is something called matter. It's there, but the perception of it is different, to one extent or another, from by, by everybody, and so. The real world is the is the mental world, and, and of course, it's only as real as it's been. It's a reflection of consciousness itself, where the, where all possibility of emotional life is is found, and that's the Krishna conception, of course, of of of, of uh, Vedanta. So, so Krishna, Lupta Tirtha, the hidden places of passage in Mathura. Mahaprabhu told Sanatan, uncover those places. So what does it mean to uncover those places? It means those places that Sanatan saw, that Rupa Gosami Prabhupada saw from their vantage point hmm, of bhava. And in seeing that place, they saw a like, like Like, do you take the Radhadamadar temple? Okay. What's one of the famous like Lupta Tirthas in the in the in the in the with that's now held in the Radhadamar temple, who knows? Oh, yeah, the footprint of Krishna. Yeah. Footprint, of footprint. There's a footprint in the stone of Krishna. Hmm? Right? Sanatan Goswami used to, even in his old age, circumambulate Govardhan on a regular basis, which is a long hike. Hmm? And it's said that at one point Mahaprabhu or Krishna intervened and said, look, you're too old to do this. And he said, well, this is my vow. So 
nana shastra vichara naikani pono sab dharma samstapako. No, what is the verse? Um, from Sargaswami, yes. Sankhya puva kanama gana nativi. Sankhya puva kanama gana nativi. Nidrahara vihara kari vijito. Sankhya puva kanama gana nativi. Goswamis are described by Srinivas like that they had vratas, vows. Sankhya kanama. They chanted a certain number of rounds. They paid their obeisances a certain many number of times to Vaishnavas. And, and this kind of, they lived this kind of life. It said that the, the, the vratas of Raghunathas were observed like the lines on one's palm, that, that you, you can't wash them away. They couldn't be broken. Hmm? They couldn't be interrupted. They made a commitment, I will serve in this way, this time. And, and so they set a very extraordinary example of this. In fact, in the context of the observance of their commitments, hmm, Srinivasacharya is describing Nidraharaviharakati Vijito. They forgot to eat. They forgot to sleep. They overcame eating, sleeping, mating, defending. All the how questions were answered by their ardent pursuit of the of meaning, of value, of of why. Hmm? Hmm? It's a very extraordinary um, example that the mystic sets. It's superhuman. To conquer over eating, sleeping, mating, defending. This is is um, kind of proof of transcendence, if you will. So the lives of the rishis, you may not believe in God, but love of God is hard to dismiss when you are confronted with this, the ex- external characteristics of it as it manifests in the world in the form of this kind of superhuman feat of being balanced in all circumstances. I like the poem of Kipling, If, you know, if you could do this. If It's a beautiful poem where if you could walk amongst the royalty and not lose touch with the common people at the same time. He goes through so many scenarios like this. The constitute this is the basic idea of the balance of, of that spiritual life seeks to bring us to where we're not riding the emotional waves of material ups and downs, having firm standing on the ground of being that you're part of, then, of course, from there, Chaitanya Vaishnavism is about how to dance on that ground of being a very extraordinary idea. One thing, finally, to stand still on ground that's firm, because now the ground is shaking, it's changing all the time. Hmm? The objects are changing. They look like one thing, they turn into something else. I grabbed one thing, it I I found a Prince Charming. He turned into a a nightmare. Right, <laughs> so uh, it happens. So to get some firm ground to stand on, that's such a big thing that to talk about dancing on it's like beyond the, cons- the possibility of the Buddha to even think about, of Shankar to even think about. Hmm? Ramanu just there's a little movement there, enough to serve him, but. In Gaudiya Vaishnavism, they've got him dancing. Hmm? Yeah. Krishna himself is 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 dancing. He's 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 Dhamma. He's tied up. 
udar means around the belly completely. He got him completely, hmm? not just a part of him, but the whole belly hmm? by bhakti. So the point is here that the um, Sanatana Goswami, for example, cited here, he saw things. So Krishna appeared to him and said, you're old, don't walk around Govardhan Hill every day. He said, that's my vow, I can't do that. So Krishna said, here, stepped on the stone, melted it, gave Sanatana the footprint and said, just circumambulate this footprint on a stone from Govardhan Hill and your vow will be accomplished and at the same time um, your health won't be uh, at, at risk. Mahaprabhu had a little concern about his health. What do you mean? You're not the body. <laughs> you see, Mahaprabhu was, was not the fanatic. <laughs> like that. <laughs> he was concerned about the health of Sanatana Goswami. Hmm? After all, his body was only engaged in Krishna's service. It's a sadhaka deha. You could say you're not the body. That's one thing. That's just kind of a very basic idea that's not that much part of bhakti. Rupa Goswami says, that and vairagya, detachment, are not really angas of bhakti. In bhakti, we get a sadhaka deha, a practitioner's body. It's not a material body. It's not a fully spiritual body. Hmm? It's a work in progress. And that Krishna's uh, energy is at play with, his sarup shakti, which is bhakti is constituted, is involved there. Hmm? So this is this is a worshipful. That's why we take the picture of the of this of the sadaka deha and we place it and we worship. If we can get a photo, or or we take the entomb the body of the great devotees, and and uh, that place becomes worshipable and so forth. So so here's Sanat there at the Radhadaman temple. Now that footprint is 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 kept. You pay a rupee and you can you can see it. You know. So. Uh, uh, so what's the point here? The point here is that Sanatan saw Krishna <laughs> in his vision, his bhava, his bhava. You can look at the footprint and you go, yeah, I guess it's a footprint. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> but Sanatan, that was his vision. And we honor the vision of these people. Hmm? What is a self-manifest deity? You know, the idea of a self-manifest deity means it's manifest to the heart of the devotee. The devotee saw it like that. That's worshipable. Hmm? His or her bob is projected on the world, and we honor that vision. Hmm? This is where Krishna resides forever in the hearts of his devotees. Hmm? Yes, there's a historical Krishna, we can say. No problem. And his name and Balaram's name are found on coins dating to this period and so on and so forth. If you get all of that you know, evidence together, and you think now we've proved that Krishna is a historical being. What are you trying to do? It's 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 you're trying to because you're absorbed in the, the idea without thinking about it that the physical world is the real world. You seem to have to validate him in that way. But even if you take all that evidence, there's an Indian fellow who wrote some book about it. I forget his name. You know, got all the evidence, archaeological evidence, astrological evidence. What was the stellar influence at the time, and this and that, and so on and so forth. And uh, when you get all done with it, there's a real historical Krishna, but unfortunately, he's not lifting Govardhan Hill. Hmm? He's not killing Putana and doing all the things that 
that are making Bhagwan, and neither is he. Is there any description of his charming leelas with his devotees? And so, that's the Krishna we're interested in, not the historical one, the one who can be seen, as I said earlier, with eyes tinged with the sap of love. Premanjana Charita Bhakti Bilochanena. The historical Christian doesn't have a chintyaguna swarupam, a form made of inconceivable qualities and, <laughs> and so forth. But there's a vision hmm? devotees have of him hmm? in the subjective world. Prophet said himself, not everybody saw Krishna who saw him, right, for who he was. So, we want the Krishna that's seen in the hearts of the devotees. And when they say, Krishna did this here, Krishna did that here, then those places become, that's what Mahaprabhu said, it's not, then go find the places of Krishna's pastimes that are lost. Krishna was here, did these things, they lost. You excavate them, with your vision, the groups and often they did this hmm? in uh, in the Brudge, and then they got the patronage of the kings of India. Hmm? And you know, it's not if you have money. A certain point when you're rich, it's not how much money you have; it's how you spent your money. Do you have the best artwork? Do you have the best furniture? You know, who's got the best mansion? And it was amongst the kings. If you didn't have a temple for a Rani, for your queen in Vrindavan, or if you had not built a ghat and commemorated the place of Krishna's pastimes as envisioned by the Goswamis, you weren't wealthy at all. You weren't rich. Hmm? They got the patronage of the kings, the royalty of the time. Hmm? And so the pastimes have been concretized, if you will. You know, they've made, they've been set in stone with buildings and so forth. This is the modern day uh, Brindaban. Hmm? Not a bad idea. But the point being, of course, that the real world is the, is the subjective and the, really the super subjective meditative world where there are the, the possibilities that don't exist in the physical world exist. And this is what we're encouraged to do, to traverse the interior landscape. This is the idea. Hmm? We're awake in physical service, doing so many things for the purpose of capturing the mind, which is the essence of sadhana, in such a way that we can begin to traverse and explore the inner landscape. Hmm? And, and we've got a map for that, given by the Goswamis. Hmm? On the map is Goloka. And so forth. And this is the place to go. There's Baikuntas. There's the Brahman, the Baraj, Baikuntas, Golok, with its capitals of Dwarka, Mathura, Vrindavan. Within Vrindavan, there's the Braj, the center, and so forth. And, and here, this Sadamara Lila takes us right into the center of that. So, Mahaprabhu. We're coming to describing how the book that contains the Dhammadarastakam for us came about. Mahaprabhu told Sanatana, do this. Preach about bhakti. Hmm? In other words, excavate the scriptures and draw from the scriptures 
what is the essence, which is bhakti, and show how bhakti is, is, is the essence of all the scriptures. Show how jnana, how karma, how yoga cannot be fruitful without some mixture of bhakti. Hmm? And then reason wisely as to then, why not just do bhakti hmm? without any admixture? Hmm? What will be the result? Hmm? And different types of bhakti, uh, even within shuddha bhakti, bhakti with aishvarya, with reverence, bhakti and intimacy, madhurya, so on and so forth. So this is what they did, right? And they excavated the places of Krishna's pastimes in Mathura district, Vrindavan. Vrindavani Krishna Seva, Vaishnava Char, Bhakti Smriti Shastra Kodikoraha Prachar. And he said further, Vrindavani Krishna Seva, um, Prachar. So we preach about service to Krishna in Vrindavan. This is, the, this is what they're doing. This is what Gaudiya Vaishnava is about. Service to Krishna in Vrindavan. Not in Dwarka, not in Mathura, not to his avatar in Vaikuntha or anywhere else. Hmm? This is the Goswami's uh, focus, right? Hmm? Vrindavan Vrindabani Krishna Seva. And here we come then. Vaishnav Achar Bhakti Smriti Shastra. Also write about and establish the Vaishnav Achar, the behavior, what is the proper behavior of a Vaishnav which means now that it's part of the formation of the sect of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. How will the devotees dress? Ask Sanatana Goswami. That's a good place to look. Um, <laughs> excuse me for that, but uh, <laughs> how will they dress? Uh, how how will they? Uh, uh, what kind of tilak will they? Will they wear Udvapudra or will they wear the Shiva tilak or so forth? Will they? Um, um, and how will they uh, do? Um, how will they marry? How will they? Um, how will they? What will their mantras be? What will their deities be? How will they be worshipped? So forth. Hmm? Um, a he called, refers to it as Bhakti Smriti Shastra. So there already were Smriti Shastras like Yagnivalka's work or Manus, Manus Amita of Manu. But these books are for a different path. You have to understand this point. Let's forget, for example, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. There's a verse from the, from the Purana cited there by Rupa. He says, Sruti Smriti Puranadi Pantra Tiki Binimbina Oikan Tiki Harayad Bhakti Utpatyaiva Kalpate. That Bhakti, which is not in accordance with Sruti, Smriti, Puranadi, the Puranas, etc., hmm, is veritably a disturbance to the society. Hmm? So now, what does it mean there? Jiva Goswami says, this means that Bhakti. That is, that is, is not in accordance with the Vaishnav scriptures. Hmm? Because we're talking about bhakti. Although the verse says, Shruti, Smriti, Puranadi. Smriti doesn't mean Manu Samhita. That's a Smriti. Hmm? It doesn't mean that. That's for the Dharma Marg. That's for Barnashram. Hmm? It says it means according to the Vaishnav scriptures, because we're talking about Vaishnavs. Hmm? And bhakti. 
says, eligibility then has to be ascertained in everything. So if you have eligibility for bhakti, then you have to come under the jurisdiction of the shastras that govern bhakti, not the shastras that govern uh, Varnashram, for example, or the Gyanmarg, and so forth. Hmm? And that mean, that that is not when Krishna says Sarvadharman Pritya forgo the Varnashram, forgo the Gyan Pritya, the ideal of moksha of Gyanmarg, or material acquisition in 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 Dharma Mark, Sarvadharman Pritya. When he says forgo these, if you understand it properly, take shelter of me alone, Ma may come Sharanam. It doesn't mean you become immoral or something. Hmm? There's there's morality within the context of bhakti, and it goes something like this. Krishna's advocating there in the Gita, what? Sharanagati. Ma may come sharanam. What is it, one of the one of characteristics of sharanagati? This is your moral compass. If it's favorable for bhakti, I accept it. If it's unfavorable for, for bhakti, I reject it. Hmm? You'll be a very morally stout person if you do that. You haven't got to worry about all the dharma shastras, but don't do this, make sure you do this. Turn left here, brush your teeth with this facing north on a, on a, on a full moon night, any such thing. <laughs> huh? this, this, this is, you take an essential spiritual approach, hmm? right? Bhakti is obviously an essential spiritual approach. It's beyond Brahma Jignasu. What do we speak of being beyond Dharma Jignasu? Jignasu means inquiry. So the Purma Bhimamsa is a, is a, is a, is a, what would you call it, a treatise on inquiring about the nature of Dharma. Hmm? If one has done that sufficiently, it's thought now you've exhausted that. It's time to inquire about Brahman. Brahma Jignasu. So first you, in, you inquire how to live a human life that will be colored in consideration of God. Hmm? And then I'm not in control. Hmm? So there are controlling factors. I should be thankful to them. I should show gratitude to the sun, to the, to the wind, to the rain, and so forth. And uh, understand that my senses are not independent in even pursuing uh, contact with the sense objects. Without sun, I cannot see. I worship the sun. And so, uh, exhausting through inquiry and following subsequent action, uh, uh, inquiring about Dharma, then you become qualified to inquire about Brahman, about the fact that you're not human. <laughs> One thing is to be a, a God, God-fearing human, <laughs> and uh, uh, another one is to understand I'm not human. I'm just in human dress. Hmm? Brahma Jignasu. This is the this is the this is the Uttar Mimamsa, the smaller section. What does the Gita say? Try be Try try. Try what? Try Gunya Vishaya Veda. Nistrai Gunya Bavardana. Nistrai Gunya Bavardana. You should inquire. Arjun said most of the inquiries are all about the gunas. Which is the better portion of the Vedas are dealing with the guna, because that's where people are at. About they're at, involved in material acquisition. So I'm going to license material acquisition in such a way that you pay some price 
and then you get the result. What are you really getting in the karma marg when you have to pay some price to get the result? What is the real fruit there? The result or the payment? The payment is the fruit. Hmm? Because as much as you've sacrificed, as much as you've gotten something, you can only take with you when you die whatever you gave in your life. That's what you can take with you. Hmm? Whatever you've given that you can take with you. Do you understand? Hmm? God lives in, within sacrifice. Hmm? It's found in sacrifice. Receiving, giving is the receiving. Hmm? It's a very beautiful idea, but you see how opposite it is our material propensity and tendency and, and perspective. Hmm? You can only take what you've given. Hmm? So w- w- the beauty of the Dharma Shastra is that it tells you in order to take or to get, to acquire, you have to give. So I think, okay, I give something, and I get something. The big thing is what I get. But the fact of the matter is, the big thing is that you've got a little tendency to give. A little tendency to give. And when you do that perfectly, hmm, that giving tendency is awakened in you, then then it, it you start to come to some sense of contentment uh, because the giving is better than the getting and then, then you become qualified the idea is to, to inquire about Brahman about the self within hmm? Hmm. and from Brahma Jignasu there is Rasa Jignasu so to say hmm? this is the preoccupation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism now we don't go through this you know I wasn't the most dharmic guy when I joined Prabhupada, and immediately we were inquiring about Rasa, so to speak, he's imploring us to. So the point is that that whole progression can be compressed, if you will, or overridden by sadhusanga. Hmm? By sadhusanga, you can immediately inquire about Brahman. Hmm? If you're confronted with such a, a, a Brahma body, you can immediately inquire, it means to become interested in Rasa, Hmm? The ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavas, if you have that kind of sadhusanga. And then that sadhusanga will teach us how to inquire. You've inquired how to go to room 108. Hmm? And I will tell you, first thing is, you are here. <laughs> 108 is there. You are here. 108 exists. It's over there. And you are here. Now focus here. How you will make the next step, next step, next step to go there. Hmm? This idea. We follow this. We, we see this in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life, in the Goswami's life. Here they're described. Mahaprabhu gave the things to do. He didn't say, here's your bead, sit down, meditate. He said, excavate the places of Krishna's pastimes. That meant work that, that as I say, got the patronage of kings. I mean, they were dealing with heads of state and so forth. They weren't just sitting and meditating all day long. They were busy people. Hmm? They had to write books. They were busy with this. Hmm? Establish a whole system, a whole sampradaya. They are architects of the sampradaya. Hmm? Um, and they did some sitting too. <laughs> so this is the Bhaktivinod Paribar, the, the uh, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsati Thakur's emphasis as we get through our Guru Maharaj. Uh, busy, busy, work now. Samadhi later. Hmm? 
Now that shouldn't be an excuse for no samadhi <laughs> and just work and just keep you busy. That's another thing. But and there should be work externally so that there might be, as I said earlier, internal life. Hmm? So, anyway, with regard to that, hmm, general form, if you will, there's substance and there's form. The form of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Mahaprabhu asked Sanatana to wrote, write the book, Hari, which became the book, write a book which became the book known as Hari Bhakti Vilas. Hmm? And there you have the Vaishnava Achar, the, the, the behavior of the Vaishnavas, their character, their procedures, uh, and all. And it's a collection of many verses from um, many different scriptures. So it has to be understood properly because it's a, it's a collection of many verses that, that glorify um, if you do this, this will happen to you. If you don't do this, this, this will happen to you, and so forth. Um, statements, many of which are exaggerations, which the scripture takes a license to do, to exaggerate, to motivate different types of people. Now that's why it's said that it's an offense to think that the virtues, the glories, the mahima of the Harinam are an exaggeration. Why is it said that? Because other scriptures, the Puranas in particular, do take a license to exaggerate in order to motivate people. Hmm? And if you do this, then you'll die a thousand deaths. And <laughs> if you do this in a million times, you'll go to heaven or something. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's to motivate people. It's a, it's a way of saying this is important. Pay attention. Do this. Mm-hmm. Hmm? This is the this is the essence that you have to draw from it. That's why we see over the generations, acharyas are not following the Hari Bhakti Vilas to the letter. Hmm? You want to follow what you were asking me for the codice, you can you can do it, okay? But th- but there's a reason why we don't. It's not a deviation from the book, but it's it's the acharya's determination of how to apply the essence of the text. Hmm? After all, it's also written in certain time and certain circumstances. Some of the things are very relative. It's said according to it to India, you have to eat this and doesn't. Right <laughs> there, you go. Yeah, that's yeah, an example. Hmm? Go bathe in the river in the morning at this time. Well, I might, might get arrested for that here. <laughs> if you could find one. It might be snowing out and then my river might be frozen and so forth. So so it, it has some relativity to it and there's some essence for it. Primarily, the book concludes by saying it was written for householders who are more dealing with worldliness and the Nirapiksha, the renunciates, it doesn't apply to them even so. And then there are many ways of observing do it like this, if you can't do it like that, do it like this, do it like this. So, But it's a great work, not to be uh, dismissed. And we bring it up here, and we're in this section because, of course, um, one of the chapters of Hari Bhakti Bilas is about the Dhamadhar month. Dhamadhar Mahasaki Jai. Rupa Goswami cites the Urja Brata as an Anga of Bhakti. Urja Brata means the vow of Urja. Urja means power. Energy it refers to the Shakti of Bhagavan, hmm? and it's a it's a it's a vow that's observed during the month of Damodar, which is also called Kartik. It said Svalpam Api Urukarakaha in the Padma Purana. That Svalpam Api Urukaraka, a little energy spent, it means in the service of Damodar hmm? during his month. Hmm? Swalpam a little has urukaraka has has a 
uh, has a big effect. A little, it's 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 the this idea where it, necessity determines the remuneration. Water is not a big deal. You want some water? Um, yeah, okay. Want some water? That's one thing. If I'm in the desert, you say you want some water. Uh, I worship you. You saved my life. Water. Uh, it's so valuable. So the necessity determines remuneration. So Dhammadar month is a special month where you can get big remuneration for a little service. Hmm? And Urja Rata, Urja means Shakti. It means that, what's this month about, Dhammadar? You might say, well, it's the name of the month is Krishna's name. And then you're calling it Kartik and saying it's about Radharani. How can it be about Radharani? It's about Krishna. Hmm? But Dhammadar month is not about Krishna directly. Hmm? Because it's about tying up Krishna. Hmm? That's what it's about. That's what the name Dhammadar means. Dhamma means rope. It means to punish. It means to <laughs> capture, to, su- to suppress. To, uh, and and Udhara means the belly, as I said. And that's, you know, get him around the belly. you got the whole body there. Hmm? So in this uh, uh, lila of Dhammadar, then Krishna is fully captured by the rope of, of Yashodamai's bhakti. This is the idea. And we'll go into that as we you know, discuss the verses and so forth. So the point being what? That it's really about the Shakti. Bhakti is, the, one, of the, is one of the Shaktis, the, the Sarup Shakti of Bhagavan, that captivates him, that makes him dance, that makes him who he is, really. And all comes out in the text. So in as much as it's about Shakti, it's about Radha, obviously, who's the Purna Shakti, the full face of the Shakti. It's in Mother Yashoda's hands, the rope, right? She took a ribbon from her hair and tried to tie him, but it was too short. So the ladies were throwing rope over the walls. Here's more rope, here's more rope. Cowherds always have rope for tying the cows for milking, so she kept tying and tying together. Hmm? But the rope that she's binding him with, hmm, that is Bhakti, and Bhakti means Ladini. Hmm. Ladini Shakti. So, as I often say, there's a little bhakti, a little radha in every devotee. Hmm. Right? So it's the rope. Hmm. In the end of this, this Dharmadharastika, we find Satyavat Muni is offering his obeisances to that rope. And, of course, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but Namo Radhikaya, in the context of doing that, he offers his respect to Radha, so he's a smart fellow. Hmm. So this is the this is the at any rate the the genesis of the book Hari Bhakti Vilas in which one chapter the Dhammadarastakam is cited and uh, the vows for observing the Kartik month drawn from the Kartik Mahatmya perhaps from maybe from Padma Purana so again the ver- the book is a collection of verses and sections of other scriptures and so forth put together by the Goswami Sri Sanatan so we'll just go a little further here, include our uh, introduction, and the next time we'll, we'll go to the first verse. But, Atashuni Sanatan Vishmitahan Stutikari Mahaprabhur Charani Dhariya. After hearing the explanations, then, from Mahaprabhu, 
of the Atmarama verse. So this comes in the context Mahaprabhu. Sanatana had heard, Mahaprabhu revealed many things to him, and then Sanatana said, you know, one thing I heard, Sanatana was a scholar, so he said, I heard that when you were in Puri, you converted the Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma, and at that time you gave 64 different explanations of the Atmarama verse of the Bhagavatam. So I was wondering if, you know, before you finish, could you tell me those 64 explanations? Uh, hmm? So, um, after hearing his instructions to him and, and met much Siksha before that, this is what Sanatana asks. And what is Mahaprabhu saying? Hmm. Um, well, Sanatana continues, he's imploring, he's asking Mahaprabhu to, to say these things. Sakshat Ishwat Dumi Brajindanandan, Tomar Niva Nishvase Sarvabed Prabhartan. You are the Sakshat Ishwar to me. You are the Supreme Ishwar, you are Brajendranand himself. Hmm? Um, all the Vedic literatures are come from you. Tumi Bhakta Bhagavate Tumi Jana Arta. Tomabina Anya Janite Naika Samarta. My dear Lord, you are the original speaker of the Bhagavatam. You, you therefore know its real purport. But for you, no one can understand the confidential meaning of the Bhagavatam. So he's heard the Siksha from Mahaprabhu, he's heard instructions from Mahaprabhu. Hmm? And he's heard, excuse me, but yeah, I'm, I was misstated perhaps, he, he's heard the explanations of the Atmarama verse, and Sanatana is glorifying him. Hmm? And Mahaprabhu replies, Prabhu Kohe, Kene kar amar stavan bhagavater swarup kene na kor bicharan? Mahaprabhu said, why are you glorifying me? You should understand what is the Srimad Bhagavatam. Please consider this point. Srimad Bhagavatam is as great as Krishna. Hmm? The supreme shelter of everything, each and every verse of Srimad Bhagavatam, and each and every syllable, there are many different meanings. Oh no! <laughs> what are we going to do now? We thought it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one hundred and eight. Got it all down. Just regurgitate it. Prashnotari Bhagavati Kori Ache Nidhar. Yanghar Shrabane Lokhe Lage Chamatkar. The form of Srimad Bhagavatam is given in questions and answers. Thus the conclusion is established. Oh, it's a sequence of so many questions and answers. By hearing these questions and answers, one becomes full of chamatkar, wonder. Chamatkar is the basis of rasa. Hmm? It was a, bit, a nice statement of his. Uh, uh, it's an ast- uh, it, it essentially is a kind of emotional astonishment. Brahmane dharma varmani. So this is a verse from Bhagavatam. Now that Krishna, the absolute truth, master of all mystic powers, has departed from his own abode, the sages asked, tell us who protect religious principles. And the famous verse, Krishna svadamo pagate dharma jnana nivisaha kalo nasadishamesha purana kurunodita. The sage replies in Bhagavatam, after Krishna departed for his own abode along with dharma and jnana, 
This Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam, has arisen like the sun in the age of Kali to enlighten those who have no spiritual vision. E mata kahilun ek shloker vyakyan batule pralap kore ke kore praman. In this way, like a madman, Mahaprabhu continued, I have explained the meaning of just one verse. I don't know who will know who will take this as evidence. If one becomes a madman like me, then he can also understand the meaning of Srimad Bhagavatam mm-hmm. by this process. Mm-hmm. So this is, you have to understand what we're in for here. <laughs> supposed to become a madman. Puna shanatan koe, yudi dui kore, pravagnandila vaishnav smitti koribare. Then, folding his hands, Sanatana Goswami said, O Lord, you ordered me to write a directory about the Vaishnava activities. Mui nicha jati kichu, nadjano nachar, mo hoite koiche hoi smiti prachar. He says, You've asked me to write about the Vaishnava character and behavior and so forth, and I am nicha jati. I am the lowest person. I have no knowledge of good behavior. How am I supposed to write a book? About what Vaishnavas, how Vaishnavas should conduct themselves. Sutra Karidisha Jadi Kara Upudesh. Apanik Karaha Jadi Hridaye Pravesh. Sanatana Goswami then said, please, personally, tell me, how can I write this difficult book about Vaishnava behavior? Please manifest yourself within my heart. Hmm? So he asked, you give me the power hmm, in my heart, then it's possible. You are all wonderful. This is the Bach disposition. It's we have hope because of who he is. Hmm? What is his power? What is his kindness? What possibilities there are for us? If you have a, if you are the friend of the person who knows everything, you're in a good good position. If you're a servant of such a person, what do you need to know? What do you need to have? Everything's at your disposal. So this is how he through the sympathy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, became empowered to write the Aryabhakti Vlasana. As I say, one chapter of that is about the Dhamma and in that chapter, this famous um, prayer, Stuti, of Dhamma is found. So we'll begin discussing the verses of Dhamma in our next gathering. Sri Dhamma ki jai. Sanatan Goswami Prabhupada ki jai. Mahaprabhu ki jai. Hari Bhakti Vilas ki jai, Chaitanya Charitamrita ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanande. Any question? What's the time? 25, 20 after 7. Oh, it's too late then. Tomorrow morning we get together, we have questions. You want a short question? You want? Uh? It's um, a little more technical. I think it's a short answer. But in the beginning of the class, we were saying how Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami described Lord Chaitanya Goswamiized, in other words, as the Goswamis have taught him. So I was reading that um, book, The Final Word of the, the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and the author was saying how um, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami had an agenda, and he successfully executed the agenda in Chaitanya Charitamrita. I was wondering, 
you know, you can, you can examine what an author has done and say, oh, this is their agenda, this is what they set out to do. But isn't it also possible that um, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami didn't have the agenda, so to speak. He just gave what was revealed and what the Goswamis had given. And in hindsight, we can say, oh, it was like this and it was like that and it was like this, but it's not exactly... Um, according to the idea of how you think the author set out to do something necessarily. Well, I th- you can see something an author did in hindsight, but the author themselves may not have seen that like that. Uh, it's possible, but I think that Krishnadas knew what he was, you know, what he was doing and and, um, and what, um, how he was trying to, as I say, take the Logo Swami's works and distill them into Bengali in the context of a narrative which makes them very easy to follow. Comparatively, then reading the Sandarbhas is one thing. They read the leaders of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and get essential teaching for the common people who didn't have access to an ability to study, you know, Sanskrit um, prose and philosophical language and so forth. So I think he definitely had in mind uh, to give back to the Bengali people the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as understood by um, Rupa Goswami. And there were different opinions about who Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was. And so he was schooled in the opinion of Rupa Goswami, and that's what he wanted to give to the world. That's become the, that's the orthodox position of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So, you know, it's not he's just holding the pen or something like that, and Krishna's moving it. I mean, they, they can, we can say that poetically, but but he had some um, some purpose in mind. There, there it's, it's part, a key part, the book of establishing the Sampradaya, so they had a, they all had a purpose in mind. What's the thinking about a dharma, about jnana, about bhakti? Who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? There are different ideas. Uh, you know, we see many deviant, we would say, from the orthodox, heterodox ideas about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that are much, much more tantric and out and about in Bengal and so forth. So the Goswamis, you know, they, they, they said, look, he's, here he is on the map of the Vedanta. And in fact, he's in the center. <laughs> That was what it's all about. It's all pointing to what he's about. All right, so we'll stop there. Shri Shri Radhamadava ki jai. Kari Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai. Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai.